All right, part two of the Tiger Woods podcast. But real quick, I just want to make one more plug for the podcast featuring Josh and Maureen Goldman. It's really fun. I've listened to the first full episode now, and we are going to release it soon on the feed. So go ahead, subscribe to the podcast, and wait for that first episode to drop. And second, shameless plug, on medium.com slash third string, just three RD string, I wrote something about Tiger Woods. It includes a lot of the themes that we're talking about in this, but it's a 10 to 15 minute read. It's about 3,500 words, and it's about Tiger Woods and more specifically his relationship with his dad and how that really complicated some things. And and Tiger had expectations levied on him that no human being could possibly possibly live up to. So that's also a good read. And I didn't, I'd appreciate it if you'd go to medium.com slash third string and take a look and, and leave me your feedback there and let me know what you think. In the meantime, we're going back to this podcast part two of the Tiger Woods conversation. We're picking up right where Josh was asking how much of the blame for Tiger's failures needs to be laid at the feet of those who levied these expectations on him that he couldn't live up to, namely his parents and his close circle of friends. And that's a really good question. We're going to start there. Should the blame be entirely on Tiger Woods or do we need to talk a little bit about how he was influenced from an early age by his father and mother and the people around him? I'm so glad you brought that up because Pete, you had mentioned this too briefly, and I I want this to be the next thing we talk about. So we've identified these flaws, but I don't know how you guys feel as you were reading this book. I actually found myself surprisingly sympathetic towards Tiger, and um, that's perhaps surprising to our listeners after listening to all of these ways in which Tiger was a terrible person. But I think because of that chronological timeline that Josh, you already talked about, we see Tiger grow up from this little six-month-old who's in his rocker watching his dad swing a golf club, and then an 11-month-old who's dragging around a custom putter, and a two-year-old who's on TV because he's a golf prodigy, and a five-year-old who's again on TV. And we see him grow up from the, the little baby into the man he is. And all along the way, we see those negative influences, particularly from his father, but also his mother and, and much of his close circle, truly affecting him in the way that he develops. So I see in Tiger Woods someone who has had immense personal moral struggles. Um, and that that's not me pointing the finger. I'm not saying I'm better than him because I also see in Tiger Woods somebody who has been set up for failure from literally day one uh, by his parents. And I think that's something that's really tragic to see. So, So in a way, the book to me was almost Shakespearean because you have this tragic figure at the center of it, Tiger Woods, the greatest athlete of a generation. But I think you're right, Josh. I think at, at, maybe not a lion's share, but at least a lot of the blame has to be with his parents. And I don't want to take agency away from Tiger Woods. His choices are just that. They're his choices. But at the same time, when you're raised by the people who love you most to think that your identity, your self-worth is all related to how you perform in getting that golf ball into 18 different cups across the course, what's your life going to be, right? And if you're raised to think that you were born for this purpose, that you are destined to be the savior of golf and race relations in America or whatever the case is, then how reasonable is it to expect that person to have a normal, healthy, well-adjusted life full of good relationships? Pete, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I was surprisingly sympathetic. I think more for the first half of the book than the second half of the book. I think as a grown man, uh, it was it was really upsetting to see the things that yeah. he knew kind of what he what he was capable of getting himself. Into uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Care. Um, but totally agree, especially the high school and the college tiger was boy. 
granted, none of us knew him growing up, but because of the the way this book is written, it's just it's a nonstop cry for help. It seems for for Tiger, and I think a lot of it comes back to exactly what you guys were hitting on, and what I hit on earlier as well. Just the the lack of consequences for anything that wasn't on the golf course. On the golf course, I mean, he was he was getting yelled at by his dad. He was hitting golf balls in the middle of the night. I mean, we we talk about all these. Uh, twilight shots and playing in the dark and all these these great things, but that's that's the only consequence Tiger ever dealt with. It seems it it mentions he was a great student because his mom was was so hard on him for academics, but there there was never any any responsibility that he had to take for anything except for his schoolwork, which I would argue was second to golf. Right? Because again, like you said, he was a golf prodigy. So it's just it's so interesting to me that the the pressure that his parents ran was exclusively on sports, it seemed, and not maturing as a person, not understanding how to communicate, not being able to be a functioning adult in society where he didn't have someone who was controlling his bank or at least monitoring his finances and setting up meetings and keeping his schedule. It's just, it was so interesting that his parents seemed to give him one life skill and that was how to compete on the golf course right but forgot to give him any other life skill whatsoever and i, I think that's why 40 year old tiger fell so far is because eventually it the the, the golf was going to run out i think even if he hadn't gotten hurt eventually the golf would have run out in the the late 2000s early 2010s and and that's that's what he's paying for and it's it's not earl woods who's paying for it i think although the way that his his life ended, I think, was pretty sad. Yeah. I think it became very clear that because of his inability to teach Tiger how to be a human being, Tiger left him in the dust. Right. Um, and and you look at the way that his I've watched a ton of YouTube videos since I read this book, uh, watching interviews with Tiger and his parents, and even the way his his mom looks, she is always so intense, but she always seems so unsatisfied with with really everything that's going on. She's happy when he wins. But overall, it, it just seems like the entire family was always waiting for the other shoe to drop because they didn't know how to function outside of golf. And and that's, I totally agree. I, I felt really bad for Tiger for a lot of this book. And I felt bad for his friends and the people who tried to help him and the people who tried to, to go out on a limb to invite him into their homes. And it was, I think a lot of people got hurt in the, the making of Tiger Woods. I really do. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know, one of the reasons I was excited to have this conversation with both of you guys is because, like we've already mentioned, we are all fathers. And as I was reading this book, I was thinking a lot about how I'm a father of you know, these these two girls and how I communicate my expectations to them. So, um, Josh, I'll pivot to you on this question. How does this book change your guys' perspective on being a father, um, if at all, or maybe just drives home the importance of being a good father? and conveying expectations well, but also loving and supporting your kids. But but how does it affect your views, if at all, on being a father and on sort of shaping your kids' pursuits? Well, the first thing I want to say is there's just so much, There's this is so dense. There's just so much to unpack here. And, you know, the first thing I think about is I don't think it's possible to be a good parent unless you yourself are a confident good person to the best of your ability. And I think that's the first place where, again, we're not pointing the finger or, or placing blame, but, but based on what, what is presented in the book, Earl and Kutilda, uh, Kultida, Kultida, do you, you, either of you remember how to say Col- it? Kultida, I think. Kultida. 
uh, I think they called her Tita for short. Both of them, uh, you know, seem to have a long way to go in being confident people themselves and, and, and happy in their own skin. And I think that that's, that's the first place that, that it made me think a little bit harder was I need to be the best person that I can be before I can start to properly influence my son. And I think the other thing that is so fascinating about all of this, and and to answer your question, Zach, about specifically how did it change my thinking, uh, it, it, it did exactly what you said. It drove home the point, the necessity of being a, a good father, especially when they're young and they're so impressionable. You know, I'm my son is one and a half almost, and he will just repeat not not verbally necessarily, but he will try to copy what I'm doing. Oh sure, you yeah. Know, at that young age, yep. And so, reading this book and and seeing the influence that Earl had on Tiger, just just really drove home the point that everything I do in front of my son is going to influence him in some way, and 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 some of it will be subconscious, and and maybe it'll be out of their con- out of his conscious eventually, permanently, but. But it's going to influence somehow. But the one thing I wanted to say with regards to this whole conversation about, you know, shaping your your children's pursuits is, would we have Tiger Woods, the greatest or one of the greatest athletes of all time, if he hadn't been raised in the way that he was? You look at other golf stars of today, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, None of these people come close to what Tiger accomplished. Not right. even, they're not, they don't even hold a candle. You could add up their major wins for a couple of the top players now. They wouldn't even come close. No. So to me, I, certainly not justifying this, but would we have Tiger Woods, one of the greatest athletes of all time, if not for the influence of his parents in the way that they did it? Again, not saying that that's the way to go, but I'm not sure we would have a discussion about someone who is this good in their sport were it not for the influence of his parents. I'm trying to think of a, a good response to Josh's question right there, but that, I don't know. And it's just so interesting because the golf world needed Tiger so much in the late 90s and early 2000s. And you look at the ratings on TV when Tiger plays that it's one of those, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I don't think we would have had the Tiger Woods. That's such a that's such a great point too. You know, would would golf exist as it does today if it weren't for Tiger Woods? So so there's clearly so much turmoil with with Tiger Woods the man and Tiger Woods the human and Tiger Woods the person. But Tiger Woods the golfer, the one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest, you know, and 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 what he did for the game of golf in terms of pushing it into significance for for young people and for people who might not have been that interested in the sport it it's it's kind of undeniable and so I, you know i just wonder if it's if it's one of those things where like it was a necessary sacrifice you know for yeah. for golf and and which i hate to say because we're talking about a person here so when you look at it from this you know 30,000 foot view for what for what we're seeing in terms of the athlete and what we're seeing in terms of the golf world, you know, it was a real 
win for for everybody involved. Yeah. But when you look at it on the human level, obviously you get you get a little bit more tragedy there. Yeah, uh, a win for everyone who wasn't on the inner circle, right? And and close to it. I'm sure Nike would tell you it was well worth it, but what about the the managers who he fired? Yeah, it's, sure. Man, this this is a great debate. Well, I think I, the, I think that can I make just a counterpoint to that real yeah. quick? So I I think it's a great thought and it's it it gave me pause and gives me pause. But I think the counter argument to that is that it's very clear that Tiger Woods had preternatural talent, right? This guy was a prodigy. And when he was hitting accurate putts at two years old, that's not something that a normal two-year-old does. And he was on TV as a five-year-old for a reason. And we could say that that's because his parents drove him to do that every moment of his life. But it's also possible, and we don't, we'll, we'll, we'll never know, we can't know, it's also possible that he would have been almost as good even if they hadn't done that. And the counter argument, I think, is that if this man is able to have healthy, normal relationships, he could actually be as good or maybe even a better golfer, especially over time. Um, you know, because now he's 42, uh, his obsession has damaged his body to such a degree that he's had multiple back surgeries, multiple knee surgeries, blown out ACLs, blown out Achilles, uh, uh, disc fusion in his back. And he will never be the player that he is again. I'm not sure if he's done. I think that's another question, but he'll never be the player that he once was. And if he maybe hadn't pushed himself quite so hard, he might have a solid 10 years left in him to collect more of those majors. So, you know, maybe he wouldn't have had the dominant run that he had in the early 2000s, but maybe over time his career would actually be better remembered than it will be now. Maybe he would have broken Nicholas's record of 18 major wins. But don't you think that that it was really that run in the 2000s that that made him such a legend in in the golf world and and in sports in general i mean you look at if you think about someone like lebron james who is another person that you think about maybe being one of the best athletes of all time you know what's most impressive about him is his sustained excellence over this period of time you know he's been to eight straight finals sure. nba finals i don't know if it would be as impressive if he'd gone to eight NBA finals over the course of a 20 year career and they were all spread out. You, I don't think that you would talk about those people in the same way if they hadn't had that sustained period of excellence where really there was no one who is even close and, and no one who will probably ever be close. I mean, you, you know, you think about records that will never be broken. And I think you look at something like Cal Ripken's record for, you know, Consecutive um, games played starts yeah. in in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you know these are just things that 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 kind of a record that you just see this this finite period of sustained excellence. I, I don't know if you would think the same way if that excellence was spread over a longer career. But I but I totally yeah. Get I mean, your point. I, so I think my my theory would be that um, people remember longevity for longer. Because you can have the surge, like, you know, so for example, people remember Jack Nicholas, right? Because he holds the most major wins, even though his career was a 26, 24 year career from 1962 to 1986. People don't know who Walter Hagen was. Um, it was a shorter career, 15 years, but he won 11 majors. He was the guy that, that you know, the last guy that Tiger Woods passed. And Tiger Woods' first major came in 97. His last one in 2008, that's only an 11-year span. And 
that's that's memorable to us because we were alive for it and we saw all the headlines. But my kids won't won't remember it. And to my kids, Tiger Woods is going to be the guy who has the second most majors. So I mean, I, yeah, I take your point. I think there is a genuine debate about longevity versus peak. But I would I would argue actually that the longevity is going to be better remembered by history. And I think that's why um, LeBron could actually eclipse Michael Jordan. Uh, in a consensus as the greatest basketball player of all time. But that's kind of, that's another discussion. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but um, I think it's, it's a, it's a good point though, Josh. I, uh, I also do, I'm just uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm pushing back so much. Cause it's an uncomfortable thought to me, you know, that like, was, was it all worth it? Right. Is this like, is the benefit to the game of golf and the way so many more young people are interested in golf? Like, was this worth, worth it, worth the way that Tiger's parents raised him? And I think, to me, that just feels so utilitarian to say, and I, I would have to say no. I, I see in the way that Tiger's parents raised him, I see a life that, although made great in this in the game of golf, um, was also really a life that was destroyed because it was devoid of devoid of love. And I think that's ultimately a terrible thing, no matter how many people it inspired to love the game of golf. Point well taken. I I totally I also realized I totally got us off track about you know raising your raising your children and and how this book influenced so Zach and Pete feel free to chime in on that if you feel the need to uh, I I went on a, another little tangent there with with uh, Tiger's influence and and whether that was worth it so no I mean I think that's that's certainly relevant because it affects how we think about raising our own kids you know I, but I think the lesson for me from the the Tiger Woods cautionary tale is that regardless of how talented my child is or is not in something, it's not up to me to dictate the terms of how much they engage in that to the degree that the Woods parents did. You know, so I can require my child to practice some each day if they're playing a musical instrument or to, you know, go to sports practices, but to um, to make it a hard and fast rule that they're going to hit the driving range every single day after school um, probably taking it a little bit too far, you know, to, to, uh, to give them motivational self-help cassette tapes to listen to until they wear out like Earl did to tiger, probably a step too far. So I, I think there's, there's a point at which every parent needs to push their kids to help their kids realize their full potential because otherwise the kid won't know. Right. But also you can take it too far. And I think as fathers, we need to bear that responsibility seriously and think about it and be very conscious of, of whether or not we're pushing our child too much and also very important making sure our child always knows how very deeply and permanently we love them i think that's the key piece that was missing in the tiger woods story so so i was gonna say uh exactly to that point zacko of not necessarily pushing but giving effective left and right bounds i think that's what tiger never got is he always got this is your straight and narrow path. You will always stay on it. You'll never deviate. You'll never question it. You'll never do anything else. Right. But I, I think my big takeaway on this was you, you kind of need to to set the scene for your children and let them attempt to, to walk on it and occasionally kind of give little course corrections to help them back on the road if they need to. But you got to let them walk it. You got to let them drift a little. And that is something that I really struggle with as a parent is it, it's so much easier for me to just do it myself or just show you exactly how to do this or talk you through exactly what I want you to do. But the the whole beauty of growing up and the whole beauty of finding yourself is 
you, you got to understand how to do things and you got to learn not only how to do things, but you have to build the confidence that you can do things because you made the choice, you put forth the effort, and you're the one who succeeded. Normally with a, a cheering parent standing right behind you or, or in the front row of that band concert. it's. I, I think that is what was missing was it was Earl and and until just sitting there and, and telling him exactly how he was going to live his life. Just like you said, the, the hitting hitting golf balls every single day after school and Tiger having to hide the fact that he wanted to play sports that, that weren't golf. It's just right. he never got any room to, to run whatsoever. He was always just on a leash even uh, until he finally broke away uh, from Earl when Earl's health was failing. So that, that was my big takeaway is I not necessarily need to let my kids fail a little more, but I need to let them experience life a little more than just always telling them exactly what to do and how to do it. I think it's I think it's a fine line. I think it's probably the finest line that any of us will ever walk in life in in terms of how do you properly raise a child. And I think that if you don't say that you have no idea what you're doing, you're lying because I think that there's no way to know exactly what your child needs. They can because even they don't know how to communicate back to you necessarily exactly what they think. They'll they'll as they get older, they'll be able to better communicate that to you. But, but I think that, that it's just this fine line that will walk forever in, in raising children. Um, and, that, and, and that's the, that's the point that I wanted to make as well, that it's, it's just, I, I, I just can't, as a parent, I just can't understand this desire to push and push and berate my child so that they get better. You know, there's a lot that they talk about in the book about how Earl would curse at Tiger and tell him he was worthless and tell him, you know, and that they were building him into what they they say, you know, several times that he was this assassin on the golf course and that because of this mentality that they'd given to him, there was no way he could lose. And I just as a parent, I just cannot imagine doing that. And again, I think part of that is because myself and and the two of you I'm sure feel somewhat confident in your own self and your own abilities and and you have had some discussion with your your wives about how you want to raise the children and I think that neither um Earl or or Tilda were were very or Tilda were very confident you know about how they wanted to raise Tiger um except for that they wanted him to be the best in in golf um, and the other thing I wanted to say about Earl is that it's, it was pretty evident to me that, that he was living through Tiger. You know, he wanted, yeah, totally. 100%. I think that, that a lot of, a lot of what the reason he pushed him was because he wished he had made a mark. He wanted to make the mark and, and, and it's the same way that I feel about, um, the ball brothers, uh, for the, you know, like yeah. LeVar Ball clearly wants to be his sons you know he wants to have them in the nba so that he's in the spotlight you know that's a current example but it it's so evident to people on the outside watching that that's the case and and that's one of the takeaways that i that i took there's a lot of stuff that i wish i'd done when i was younger or pursued more strongly but i really want to be careful as a parent not to push my son into doing something just because it's what i wish i would have done more of 
And, and that's one of the takeaways I got from, from the book. Yeah, I think that's well said. And uh, I want to pivot away from this fatherhood discussion. But before we do, I just want to mention, and I know I can speak for you guys on this, that um, we don't have all the answers. So, you know, we're not, we're not uh, throwing, we're not simply throwing stones here. Uh, We're also admitting that we don't have it all figured out. And I think that's why these discussions are worth having, because all of our kids are very young. We want to do right by them. We want to be the best fathers we can be. And it's, of course, very important to have these discussions. But if our listeners have other ideas, other things we need to think about in terms of how to parent, how to be effective fathers, we, we definitely would love to hear those ideas. So, guys, as we, as we wrap up this discussion of Tiger Woods, um, I have two questions, and, and they flow into each other. So the first, is Tiger done? Will he win another major? Maybe, maybe will even will he win another PGA Tour event? And second, if we still root for Tiger, I'm not sure how you guys feel when you see his name on a leaderboard, but, but if we still root for Tiger, why is that? Is it because we want the domination again, that, that sort of peak that you mentioned, Josh, when he was the most dominant athlete in the world? Is it because we want to see redemption? This is a guy who's been through so much, so much personal scandal, hopefully a lot of maturing over the past eight years. Uh, we want to see him redeem himself and come back to being the player he once was, but but a better version of him, morally speaking. Uh, why is it Why is it that we root for him? Or maybe you don't root for him at all. Maybe you, you want to see Tiger Woods um, you know, fade into history. Uh, but, but what do you think on, on those two questions? Is he done? And why do we root for him? Zach, you want to get us started? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I don't think he's quite done. I mean, I think we, I think he won't win another major. I think that's out of reach for him. I think we'll probably see him win three to five more PGA tour events. And I, I think he'll, um, he'll have to retire because of, you know, probably he'll, he'll hurt his back again and that'll be kind of it. He'll see the writing on the wall. Um, so in that sense, I think he's he's done. Um, just a, maybe a little bit of gas left in the tank. You know, when I see Tiger on a leaderboard, I don't know if it's nostalgia to my boyhood watching him uh, as a golfer um, or what, but I I do kind of find myself rooting for him. Um, even a couple of weeks ago when he was uh, making a big run on the third day, uh, I was... I found myself kind of wanting him to win and I had to stop myself and think, why am I rooting for this? Because this is, this is a man who I, I really hope I don't, I don't know. I can't say for certain. I really hope he's a better person than he was, but at the peak of his career, he was not a good guy. Um, not the kind of person that I would normally find myself cheering for. Um, and yet here, here I am cheering for him. And I, I think it's kind of a combination of the two things. I think Human beings want to see the outlier. Human beings want to see the dominant force. They want to see, you know, my, my sister-in-law was texting me the other night about just how amazing LeBron James is. And she's not even a basketball fan, but I, I think, and I agree with her on that. I think we all want to see human beings just dominate in whatever they're doing. We want to see that strength in competition specifically. Um, so I think there's there's an element of that, wanting to see Tiger Woods be dominant again, even though I know he never will be. I just want to see him atop a leaderboard one more time. Um, and I think the other part is what I mentioned. I think I do want to see redemption. I think I want to see Tiger Woods come full circle. I want to see him be the guy who was the best in the world, who had this spectacular Shakespearean fall from grace, and who again uh, you know, could, could nurse himself back to health, recognize where he had gone wrong, and, and once again be at the top of the podium. Um, but, but at the same time, I think the, the fact that he will never eclipse Nicholas's record of 18 majors. Um, and that was kind of his number one goal. I think in a way that's fitting, um, even though it's tragic. But what do you guys think? Pete, let's go to you. 
I I love the point you made about how we as people like seeing people win because I think in a, in a lot of ways we kind of project ourselves onto the the fantastic athletes we see on TV and it's it's fun to see dominance and and that's why it's also fun to see the underdog come up and, and win surprisingly because that's what we all want to do. Um, so I I totally agree with you that he's maybe got one or two left, but we're we're really in the twilight. But something else that I thought was interesting towards the end of the book that going back and looking at a couple of these past tournaments, it is a different tiger. It is not the intense tiger it used to be. I think his personality has finally adjusted where he's enjoying life a little more. Um, and and kind of with that knowledge and looking at it, I was rooted for him because I enjoyed seeing the dominance growing up. Uh, I think I'm still going to root for him just because um, it's it's kind of his redemption tour and. Hopefully none of us ever have the, the fall from grace that Tiger's had. Um, but I feel like in a way I need to root for that redemption story and root for a guy overcoming incredible demons, some self-imposed, some not, um, and, and see him see him thrive. And, and I, I really hope he does well, uh, although I have a lot of questions about him as, as a guy. Yeah, but okay. That's, that's my down and dirty. Fair enough. Josh? In terms of whether or not he's quote-unquote done, I think Zach, I'm, I have to agree with you as well. I don't think he's going to win another major, maybe one. I, I could see him winning the Masters again just because he's so familiar with that course. But other than that, I don't think he'll certainly don't think he'll eclipse 18. I think that he will, to your point, win four or five more tournaments, and that would give him the the most PGA Tour wins if he can. He needs three to tie Sam Snead, who has 82 to have the most of all time. Uh I think he could probably do that. So in terms of whether he's done, I'm 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 back and forth on that. Um in terms of whether or not I root for him, I I definitely still root for him. You know, when I see when he's charging on Sundays, you know, a couple I guess it was about a month and a half ago at the the Valspar tournament where he tied for second. You know, he was really in contention and I found myself really interested. I am a golf fan. I like to watch on TV, much to my wife's disappointment that I enjoy watching golf on TV. She doesn't understand that. Uh, <laughs> it's like watching fishing. But it's, it's, it's better than watching fishing. You never know if you're going to catch a fish, but That's you, true, you yeah. at least know that the ball is going to go in the cup at some point. Right. Um, but So I like golf, um, but I find myself liking it more when Tiger's playing. There's just, I think there's just something that has to be said about witnessing one of the greatest of all time playing, whether it's Tiger Woods or potentially LeBron James, especially in situations where you don't necessarily, you know, care what the outcome is otherwise. For me, I'm not a huge NBA basketball fan. I'm from DC, so I root for the Wizards, but you know, if they're not playing I'm happy to root for LeBron James because I just there's something about him putting a team on his back and and taking them to the NBA finals 8 years in a row that's just really satisfying to watch. I can totally see that if you're a huge fan of another team, Zach I know, Zach, I know you like the 76ers, so I can see why you wouldn't necessarily like LeBron when it comes to your team playing him. Sure. But for someone who doesn't have anybody that he really cares about, which I think is often the case in in golf. Like, does anybody really have a favorite golfer? I mean, maybe you like Phil Mickelson because he seems like a good guy, or maybe you're you you know Rory McIlroy seems like a an interesting player to follow. 
But if you watch on the, if you watch any tournament, when the player who is going to win goes to the 18th green and they put that putt in, everybody's cheering. Everybody's cheering. So, so it's not as if, you know, you have teams that you're rooting for. So when you're talking about watching Tiger Woods, you want to see him succeed because you want to see that dominance from someone. He's the closest that we're going to get to, to someone probably breaking any of these records. And I think there's just this human desire to want him to succeed for that reason. The flip side is that, you know, there's that human element too, where we want to see him redeemed. And I think, you know, from what was pointed out in the book, he had a lot of demons. He had a lot of things that, that went wrong for him. He had a lot of things he did to himself. But in terms of other stuff that we're seeing from celebrities, when you talk about someone like Harvey Weinstein, who, who potentially did criminal acts against women, you know, Tiger wasn't at that level. So I think that there's still room for people to want to see that redemption. For people who maybe, you know, assaulted people or did unforgivable things, it's a little harder or, or maybe impossible. Yeah, I'm not saying that what Tiger did was okay. Obviously, it's, it's not, um, you know, for many reasons. But I think there's still room for, for people to, to want to see him succeed for that redemptive, that redemptive, you know, quality. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I think we'll wrap up the conversation there. But to our listeners, I would definitely recommend this book to you. It's called Tiger Woods. The authors are Jeff Benedict and Armin Katian. It is very good. Like we've discussed, it is just over 400 pages and it is a really sweeping, full and thorough account of Tiger Woods' life. And, you know, he's only 42, so you might not think there's much there, but there is a lot there. There's a lot to delve into like we have about what it means to be human and human flourishing and how Tiger Woods still hasn't achieved that despite all of his professional success. Um, you know, the cover of the book is very interesting. We're looking at Tiger's face and specifically the right side of his face. And the most prominent facial feature is his eye. And it was only a few days ago that I realized what we're looking at here is the eye of the tiger. Um, and there's a lot in this in this look that Tiger is giving to you. And it, it looks simultaneously intimidating and weary. And I think that is a perfect encapsulation of the Tiger Woods that we know. The, the man who is one of the greatest athletes of our time, but also someone who is uh, perhaps tired from the chase and realizing that there's a lot more to life. Um, hopefully he's realizing that now. The book ends, I think, on a, a slightly hopeful note. And some of Tiger Woods' recent public statements have indicated that he is changing. He's realizing some of the things that he didn't realize before. I wish him the best, the best in that. Um, in the meantime, I think we should all take lessons from this in a spirit of humility. Again, not casting stones, but, but looking at Tiger Woods as a fellow human being, someone we can uh, respect and love and uh, wish the best for, um, and someone that ultimately we can learn from. So Pete and Josh, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. And if you're if you're listening to this from vernacular, you're a vernacular listener, you've come over to the third string to listen to part two of this. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here every week. And Josh is the new host of the newest show on the Vernacular Podcast Network. That is the Popcast. It is launching soon. You can find it uh, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the feed there. It is live. Um, and he will be uploading new shows soon. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time on Third String Podcast. Thank you.